Welcome to Nutrition Factors, the podcast about the link between nutrition and your health. We talk to leaders in the field of nutrition and look into the science behind how nutrients affect your health. Hi, good afternoon, and welcome back to the Nutrition Factors podcast. And today I'm going to be talking to Dr. Julia Rutledge from New, all the way from New Zealand. Thank you very much, Julia, for agreeing to chat with us today. It's my pleasure, Sally. Okay. Now, I wanted to ask you if you could just fill us in and tell us what prompted you to look at nutrition. You are uh, a professor of psychology, right? Correct. Yes. Okay. Yeah, so it's not it's not a typical avenue for psychologists to be looking at nutrition. And, um, you know, if, if my training in clinical psychology is anything like the training for other people, we're often, uh, well, n- nutrition really isn't covered at all. But we're also basically taught that it doesn't play a, much of a role in mental health. I think that hopefully is changing, but that's what, you know, certainly was the, the education in the 1990s. And certainly... Uh, similar probably to the type of education that uh, a medical doctors receive in their training, general practitioners, psychiatrists, um, nurses. It's just the only people who are, tr- who I guess feel that they can talk about diets would be dietitians. And I, mm-hmm. I, I'd like to change that because I think there are some things about diet that we can all talk about, uh, regardless of your background training. But what got me interested was just as a, you know, I'm, I'm not a, I, I'm an academic clinical psychologist, so I work at a university and I do research and I train clinical psychologists. And I did practice clinical psychology for many, many years. I, I don't anymore in that traditional sense of one-to-one because I don't have time. I'm too in, involved in the research that I've been doing over the last over the last decade. So what got me interested was that I think it's a it's a, a combination of of things that came together, and one of them obviously would be the introduction to to my world that nutrition was relevant and was helping people uh, overcome some very serious psychiatric disorders like bipolar disorder or psychosis. This came to my attention uh, by my my supervisor, my PhD supervisor Bonnie Kaplan at the University of Calgary when I was doing my PhD there. And it was something that had been brought to her attention by some families in southern Alberta in Canada, which is where I did that. Where, For those listeners who don't know where Calgary is, it's in um, the west side of Canada. So these families had discovered um, and based on exploring new, new ways to treat their family members because conventional treatments weren't uh, working adequately, helping them enough. They, despite being on medications, they were still going in and out of hospitals and uh, being unwell and having the symptoms. And so they look to what we know from the animal world, which is that when uh, you give a broad spectrum of nutrients to animals who might be irritated, and, you know, that would be the best, you know, sort of psychological symptom is, is that irritation that you might see in, say, pigs, for example. They start biting and they're aggressive towards each other. You give a broad spectrum of nutrients and that really does uh, completely eliminate that behavior. So they applied that concept to their their family members, which might seem a bit, you know, outlandish. But we're all in the same animal kingdom. And so we all knew, need nutrition. And so it's not actually that far, far-fetched an, an idea. 
when they found that that helped their own family members, they started approaching scientists. And one of the scientists they approached to study this was Bonnie Kaplan. And so she she was skeptical, uh, but she did some initial trials uh, that were published in the early part of the century that showed that nutrients could help people with serious psychiatric uh, conditions. She then ended up having a lot of struggles around doing that work in Canada. Um, and so I, I, you know, listened, I heard about the data, I'd moved to New Zealand by that point, I moved to New Zealand 2000. But I was also observing that in the people who we were just assessing and, and uh, uh, assessing in, in clinical trials, not even in clinical trials, in research studies, they weren't trials or intervention trials, but in research studies of people with ADHD, that they were still unwell despite getting the best treatment. And so, so acknowledging that our limitations was really another sort of piece of this, that another piece of what was going on here for me was acknowledging that what we're doing right now isn't helping enough people. So we do need to explore new avenues, no matter how much they might contravene or contradict the current way of thinking. Right. That's our role as scientists is that we need to study new ideas. And so they... Um, so Bonnie came and talked about these data. I was intrigued. I thought, what do we have to lose? I mean, either we learn that nutrients in a pill form and combination don't work, and that's something that everybody would be would want to know, or that they do work, and that's something that the public and the governments would really want to know. So I didn't see that I would have anything to lose by doing this research. Little did I know, and in my very naive way, and as an early researcher, that there are a lot of obstacles to challenging the status quo. And so it hasn't been an easy road to do this research, but it's been um, incredibly rewarding, nevertheless. How's that for an answer for your question? That's fantastic. I can quite imagine that it wasn't easy because I'm sure there were a lot of people with vested interests that didn't particularly want to discover that we could fix this with a, some lettuce, leaves, and vegetables. Yes. I mean, it's, it's a bit more than just lettuce, leaves, and vegetables. Uh, we are studying nutrients in pill form in a, in a form that's higher than what you would, in, in doses that would be higher than what you might be able to achieve from a diet alone. Um, I think I always talk about food first that, you know, always get rid of your ultra processed food. That would be the first step. Increase your whole food diet. This is not rocket science. This is, this is what all our, our ancestors, that's how they ate was a very nutrient dense diet that we've moved away from for, you know, a variety of reasons and uh, industry influence. So, but I, for some people, even when they eat a good diet, they may need more than what they can get out of their food uh, in terms of nutrients. And so the nutrients in pill form do allow us to give the nutrients in higher doses. And we do think that's probably an important aspect of the work uh, for either that people have genetic differences and that their needs for nutrients are higher and they're so that they well, and, and, you know, just you mentioned testing. I mean, the challenge of the testing is that people can look average on testing and normal on testing, and yet that may not reflect their nutritional needs and that you, it's, it's, you, you can still be deficient relative to your own metabolic needs. And so that's, I think, some of the challenges associated with the testing that I, I, I don't know are, are easily solvable. 
but um, that could be one reason why some people might need more life stages mean that we may need more nutrients um, during certain periods of time, like adolescence, when you huge growth spurts, your brain is developing, it needs a lot of nutrients, the brain is the most the hungriest organ. So it's very metabolically active. And a lot of reconstruction is happening during that time. Pregnancy, uh, an obvious another obvious time when you may your nutritional needs go up, yeah. uh, getting older, we're we're less like less able to uh, absorb the nutrients that we do eat, so we may need more as we age. Uh, there's certainly some amazing research that's looking at additional nutrients to stave off dementia. So that's a, an intriguing idea there that we we could increase nutritional intake to sort of slow down cognitive decline, and then and then life stresses. Uh, stress is uh, it triggers the fight flight response. Fight flight response is is the uh, is going to be dominant in terms of its nutritional requirements. It's going to take that first. It makes sense. That's for survival, but at the expense of longer term function, like your emotional regulation or your sleep or your ability to regulate your anxiety or your concentration. So um, I think that gets compromised when we're under chronic stress. So those are some reasons why under certain circumstances, you may need more than what you can get out of your food. And then there's just, you know, just the other elephant in the room, which is that our food is less nourishing than it used to be. So that's a challenge too, uh, that we all need to sort of address. Some people are fine and they, that doesn't affect their mental or physical status, but for other people, they're going to respond to the fact that then the food that they're eating, even if it's whole foods may not be as nourishing as it used to be for a lot of different reasons in terms of agricultural practices, mm-hmm. our, our selection of foods that are, uh, that grow quickly so that they're not as nourishing, um, uh, use of glyphosate, that's a, it's a mineral chelator, so it affects the nutrient density of food. Climate change affects, it, I mean, it means that plants can grow faster, but the uptake of nutrients may not be, it may be crom- compromised. So there's a whole host of other environmental factors that can play a role too. Wow. So for just the ordinary person in the street, how do they kind of navigate all of this? I know. How do you navigate this one? I mean, unfortunately, I think we have a system, a public health care system. Well, in New Zealand, I don't know about where you are, but if, where I'm medications is, that's, yeah. So so your system is different. It's a, in, in more insurance based. Your public system is is not as well, I guess, is, what, is it fair to say not quite as well developed as somewhere like New Zealand or Canada? That's probably the wrong word to use, well-developed. Maybe it doesn't serve the, the entire population the way it does in, in New Zealand or in, in Canada. Yeah, um, and the but, US likes to say that we have one of the best healthcare systems, but it's not necessarily available to everybody. That's that's right, yeah. But and, the frontline form of treatment in in US and in New Zealand and in Canada is, is medication for the treatment mm-hmm. of psychiatric disorders. Mm-hmm. And so that's... I, I think does create challenges um, in terms of moving forward with nutrition because of when, especially with the nutrients that we use, there can be drug uh, nutrient interactions that we have to be very mindful of. So it's not something that you just do, like stop your medication and go on nutrients, not at all. So I, it is, it can be complicated. And it, so it does require first some education and learning about nutrition as a treatment for psychiatric disorders, it's quite a different approach from the frontline form of treatment of medications. 
Um, but the first thing that people can do, regardless of whether or not they're on medications, is just is really clean up their diet. That would be the first go-to. We know that based on research that 50% of the calories that Americans eat it comes from ultra-processed food, that at best 20% of the population is meeting their fruit and vegetable quota. So there's a lot of things that we can, that th those are the low-hanging fruit that we can um clean up the diet and try to address that major challenge. And I do want to say that is a challenge. It's not easy to do because there's a lot of forces out there that really want us to buy ultra processed food. And we'll do a lot to try to make sure that happens. You know, just recently there's in New Zealand, we have something that's called a star rating system that goes on packages of food of ultra processed food. And so it's, it sort of tells you that a food is healthy uh, based on its star rating. And, you know, I was just being grumpy on Twitter just yesterday because Coca-Cola, you know, low, um, uh, uh, this, you know, the Diet Coke gets three and a half star rating. And you think, why would that, why would something that has absolutely no nutrient content whatsoever in it get a three and a half star rating? And that's because it's low in calories, low in sugar, low in fat, low in sodium. Mm. So, uh, you know, uh, you know, this, the dietary guidelines that are that are trying to help guide people in terms of making better food choices don't seem to have nutrients um, and nutrient density at the heart of that, and that really worries right. me. So, food first is definitely something I think we can all at least work towards, and um, making those steps, uh, starting to you know learning how to cook. Um, I think, you know, teaching our children how to cook, teaching our children about the importance of nutrient-dense food. I mean, it's a big ask what I'm, you know, you say simple. I think there are some simple things people can do, but I also think it's a, it's going to require a lot of um, change as a society to, to really address this. And it, it's not going to just improve the mental health of people. It's going to improve their physical health too. Physical so health too, there's yes. no, there's no bad consequences to improving your diet that I can think of. If, you know, if you know of one, please let me know. But I, I think the only consequences are going to be good other than a, perhaps the effect that it might have on the ultra processed food industry. Well, oh, well, oh, but well, they, they'll yes. fight and they'll fight that you know, and that's some of the, you know, that probably represents some of the obstacles that I faced is just that resistance to this idea that you shouldn't be eating. Ultra processed food is just not real food. It's, it's, it's convenient. It served a purpose. I understand how it, you know, became so hot, that type of food became so popular, but the experiment is now over. We mm -hmm. see the consequences right. and we should now recognize that we should stop eating it. Right. In, in your studies, can you tell me of it, like any specifics or any stories, anecdotes of perhaps things that have happened with patients? Sure. Um, I mean, it one you know something that I could just bring to attention of your listeners is that I've just written a book called The Better Brain, which comes out in April and co-authored with Bonnie Kaplan. We have a lot of anecdotal stories in there. There's they're weaved all the way through the book because they're the most often the most powerful. So to just think of some stories that we we talked about in the book, for example, you know, I thought I think of Isaiah, who's very happy for us to use his name. 
Um, he was a he was a nine-year-old who came into one of our studies. He had ADHD. He had he was aggressive. He was um, kicked out of school constantly. His mother had to look after him at home because the school couldn't handle him. Medications didn't help him. He'd been on Ritalin, all the different you know drugs that that you use to treat ADHD, and they made him his his problems uh, worse. A lot more mood instability. A lot more anxiety. And uh, she heard about our one of our clinical trials and enrolled Isaiah in it. And you know the the changes for Isaiah were probably within a, just a couple of weeks that they were just obser- observing. It's not it's not necessarily huge to start with, but just subtle changes. And I think some of the things that we hear the most are things like he didn't argue. You know, I, I asked him to put his shoes on, and normally he would have a temper tantrum, but he just did it, and he mm-hmm. didn't argue. And these kind of and and so. If you, you might not notice it the first time that, that the child was compliant, but just that over over a few of those goes, you kind of you, these parents stop and go, "What happened to my child? They're not they're not <laughs> reacting the way they would t- typically react in those kind of triggering circumstances." So we'll hear about those types of changes. For Isaiah, we also heard very quickly about how much calmer he was and more regulated. And that would be probably the key thing that I think these nutrients do is that they seem to bring a, a stability to mood and a calmness that is kind of hard to pinpoint and and capture. That's that's some of the very real observations that we've heard over and over and over again. His eighty. I mean, he's now seventeen, so this is not a placebo effect. He's still taking the nutrients. Um, he caught up at school. Um, he, you know, he was behind. A, you know, definitely a few grades, and he, he caught up. He's currently enrolled in the national exams that we do in New Zealand, which would probably never have happened if he hadn't been on the nutrients. That he was, he was a child who was heading towards um, probably more of a delinquent type of outcome trajectory. And he's he's now engaged in philosophy and psychology, and he's a skateboarder, and he just loves to go out and you know and 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 skate all day if he could. And um, he had when he came to us, he was suicidal, and we just haven't heard any of that in the ten years or no eight years that he's been taking the nutrients. So, you know, there's these wonderful wonderful outcomes for kids who who may not have gone down this this same journey if they hadn't uh, discovered the nutrients. It's not to say that the nutrients help everybody that um, I can't promise that. Uh, but we you know I, I can certainly say that based on our research, at least half of the people get do really, really well. It's not a bad percentage. Yeah. And for people who stay on the nutrients, um, that can they continue to do better. Like over over a long period of time, we continue to hear about um, uh, their symptoms getting better and better to the point that many of them are in remission of for whatever problem they came to us, whether that's you know ADHD or anxiety or trauma. That over a longer period of time, those symptoms are no longer uh, diagnosable, which is an exciting outcome for many people, even out in that 50% of people who I wouldn't say that they're big responders, some of them, you know, about 30% of those do show some benefit, but they're still impaired to the point where it's not as good as a recovery as I'd like to see. And we do try to figure out what, 
you know, why is it that some people don't recover? Is it the dose isn't enough? Is it that we need to be doing other things? Is it that they need to do this in combination with psychotherapy or maybe nutrition isn't relevant in their case? Then that's certainly possible too. Or we haven't found the, you know, even though it's the broad spectrum approach, there's no magic nutrient. I'm not going to, you know, I don't say you have, mm. to, you have to take zinc or magnesium. There's no special nutrient. They work in combination together. But are, is it that there's something else that where there's an, a, a missing puzzle, piece to the puzzle? So we still have to okay. keep going. So forward. do you do you give a sort of standard range of nutrients to everybody, or is it kind of yeah. tailored to each person? No, there's no tailoring. That would be too hard in a research setting to tailor mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. it's all blinded when you're doing these studies. So right. it's and and. That's yeah, tailoring is hard. I, I'd love to do a tailoring versus broad spectrum. So, like for example, you you talk about the test, the, the testing, the testing, and that drives the treatment. Right. I'd like to see a study that that does that uses the the testing to drive the treatment to determine what the treatment is versus a standard approach of let's just give everybody the broad spectrum of nutrients and see what happens. That kind of study has never been done, so I don't I I don't yeah. know if testing would be is more beneficial. And until that's proven, I'm I think that this approach is a pretty good one, in that we're giving all the nutrients. It's based on those Alberta families. They they developed uh, formulas that are uh, commercially available. I'm not affiliated with them. I don't get any money from 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 sell, from doing this research. They don't pay me. They don't fund the research. Uh, they give us the nutrients and a matching placebo for free to anybody who has an ethically approved study anywhere in the world, um, because they are really really keen to see the research happen. Right. And um, and that's unusual for a company or companies because there's a there's a couple of them that that um, have in, in in southern Alberta based on these families that they they've got a couple of different formulas that we've we've studied. I, I have tried to study other other formulas, and there are other ones out there. There's no magic uh, formula necessarily, but there's just not a lot of, that have been manufactured for this purpose. So. Um, that's yeah so I it's and I'm a psychologist as we you said right at the beginning I'm not into making a product it's not no, my thing no. but it might be interesting if we could talk more and, and collaborate or see I don't know if there's something that could be done with as you say the one versus the other yes I mean I'm always keen and very open to that idea of d does the testing add additional benefits, you know, so for example, for those people who don't respond, is it that we have missed something, you know, that it, this, this uh, generalist approach is missing for those yeah. people. Yeah. And that's very possible that that's going on. And so I'm for certainly open to that. And I've, I've d done my best here in New Zealand to try to make that happen. But so far that hasn't, it hasn't eventuated, but it's something I'm very keen to see researched because I think we need to be disruptive in our approach and figuring out ways that people can help themselves a lot more um, with simple solutions. And so the testing, I don't think is a simple solution. Right. So yeah. 
and in, you know, unless it, it, the gains are huge relative to the simple solution, then I guess I'd say do the simple solution first. Yeah, if absolutely. that doesn't work, then you do the, then you, you do go the with one. more well, complicated. Yeah, if you can get 50 or 60% of them to improve remarkably just on a standard with, yep. protocol, that would be great. And maybe for the other 40%, you say, well, you know, there, exactly. there is another solution. You can try exactly. this. Exactly. Well, I really appreciate your time. This has been wonderful. And it's very exciting for me just to hear that these things are being done mm. because for many years I, I've, I haven't had any personal experience with me or my family of having had luckily any mental illness. But I, I just, I've been very aware that there's so much, a big push on the medication and I don't see that it's working. Not for enough people. No. I do believe in nutrition for handling many things. And it's, I just think it's really exciting to see that there is research being done into the fact that it can help people with mental illness. Yeah. And there's, there's a quite a bit going on over, around the world, not massively, but there's enough players in there that it's hopefully it'll become bigger and bigger and more. My hope is that we reach a tipping point and it becomes mainstream but it'll, it's, we're not there yet. Yeah. All right, Julia, thanks very much. I really appreciate your time. No problem. And for our listeners, we will see you on the next episode of Nutrition Factors. You've been listening to Nutrition Factors, a podcast about the link between nutrition and your health, sponsored by Ulan Nutritional Systems. 